We are in a series of messages or lessons, I guess I should say, about Romans, back to the basics. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are some verses. If you memorize anything, I would suggest that you memorize those. I think those are very important and very deep. There's a lot in there. Thank you to those who will join us on podcast later. How many have ever heard of the J.B. Phillips Bible? It's a very fluid reading translation, uh, and I really like this uh, just to begin with, just to read it, and then we'll start uh, kind of breaking those two verses down. So J.B. Phillips writes, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And that is fairly accurate, but very smoothly written. And so I just thought I would start by reading that uh, to you. You can find that in a Bible app, I'm sure. Uh, J.B. Phillips is not a commonly used translation, but I do like the way that that reads. But let's start with what you and I probably mostly know, which is New King James. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And when you just kind of begin to break this verse down, it's, it uses an old English word that you don't hear much, and that is beseech. You don't hear people running around in our modern days saying, I beseech you to do this or to do that. But it is a good word and it essentially means to beg. So Paul is saying, hey, I am begging you. Another word uh, that would be close or similar to that is exhort. Many times preachers, when they preach, will exhort, but preachers aren't the only ones that exhort. To exhort means to impassion to, to get somebody, try to get them to be involved or to be in agreement with you. So that word exhort means to be passionate about speaking and telling someone something. Uh, so that's very similar to beg. Therefore, really the gist of this is that Paul is asking us to change our normal human will. In homiletics class, not that you need to take a homiletics class to know this, but it says the art of preaching is simply to connect with a person's mind and with their emotions in order to cause a change in their will. That's all preaching is. Paul here is beseeching us or begging us, appealing to our will and asking us to make a choice to live for God. That's really kind of simple, isn't it? 
He said, listen to me. I'm begging you. Hear me. I want you to make a choice to live for God. And that's important, isn't it? I mean, Paul is a an apostle. He is exhorting. He is begging. He is talking to those Christians who have moved from Jerusalem probably to Rome and they are under attack. It is a dangerous situation, but he's saying, I want to beg you, don't give in. Don't let the world system drag you down and live for God. I mean, we need to hear that message in our day and time because if you don't watch it, the world will drag you down a path that is not what God has chosen for you and I. Who is he addressing? He is addressing fellow Christians. It says, therefore, brethren, begging Christians to live in, in a way that is right in accordance to what God has done for them. In other words, uh, that scripture says, by the mercies of God. How many knows that God has been very merciful to us? And we don't, we don't deserve his mercy, but he pours it out upon us, his, his grace and his mercy, uh, his goodness to us. And so he's reminding us that in light of the mercy that God has shown to us, that we should offer our bodies unto him. The word body, what does that mean there? Does he just mean, just give me your body? No, we know it doesn't mean that, right? It means your whole self. That's the way in these times that they would have said, present to me, to God, your body. In other words, your mind, your will, your intellect, your desires, your heart, your passions, and your physical body as well. Give it to the Lord in light of what he has done for us in a way that it is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That's an interesting term. And the Bible, except here, the sacrifice doesn't live. It gets killed. The blood is typically, depending upon the type of sacrifice, if it's a lion, if it's an animal sacrifice, its blood is going to be drained from it, poured out, but the meat is going to be burnt up, and it's a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, and it is through the sacrifice of blood, the Bible tells us that the only way that sin is remitted or paid for is that through that price of blood. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Who made the sacrifices in that biblical times? Priests. So why here is Paul telling us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? We are priests and kings. Jesus has made us that uh, as the body of of Christ, we are kings and priests. We're uh, a royal priesthood, the Bible says, a holy nation, uh, all of those things. So that's why it kind of calls to mind this priestly service, and we are bringing our bodies, the wholeness of what that means, to God. The body means the spirit, the soul, the flesh, the mind, all of that uh, is 
what God is requiring for us to bring to him. Now, doesn't that seem like quite the sacrifice? God's saying, give it all to me. I mean, that's really what he's saying. I want all of you. And that's why Paul makes reference to say, by the mercies of God, because that's the only way that we can really do it is if we begin to think about, man, God has done so much for me. He's been so good to me. What are some of those mercies that God has given to us? Eternal life, forgiveness of sin, life, absolutely. Righteousness, the Spirit, yeah, absolutely. That's a quite a merciful thing because without it, we can't really live with the Lord. Forgiveness, maybe sanctification. What about the mercy of accepting us as his children? What has God done for us? And most of these, a lot of these, we've already looked at at the beginning of Romans. That sanctification and justification and being made children of God. All of those are things that we have uh, talked about at the beginning uh, of Romans. So we're to present our bodies to him. You can do all kinds of work for God, but never really give him yourself. I mean, you can work for the Lord, and you can show up at church, and you can do things, but there's a difference in working and in giving him your whole self. And so uh, Paul's not asking here necessarily for works, but we know that works follow salvation because, again, we're looking at the mercies of God and God wants me to do this, and man, he's done so much for me. How could I not do something for the Lord or for the kingdom? Well, it's a living sacrifice. Quite a striking image, isn't it? Imagine laying yourself on the altar. Now, the altar wasn't like this altar. It had fire burning in it and under it and up through it. It burnt. It consumed. And so to lay ourselves on the altar, we're allowing God to consume us, all of us to be for his pleasure. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable. Does that remind you of anything about sacrifices? Holy and acceptable? Perfect, spotless, pure? Yeah, all of those things. Whenever the lambs were raised so that they could be used in the temple for sacrifice, sometimes there's a real connection here when we see that Jesus was laid in a manger. Now, it wasn't, sorry to bust your bubble, but it wasn't like the wooden mangers that we see. It wasn't like that. It was actually made of stone. They did put hay in it, uh, but they also, here's where it really connects. When these baby lambs were first born, they were wrapped in cloths in order to protect them from being bruised or something being broken. That was a holy, acceptable, pure, no spots, no blemishes uh, lamb. If it had anything wrong with it, it could it could be eaten, but could not be used 
for the sacrifice in the temple. So uh, the standard for the sacrifice is nothing less than perfect. If we're the sacrifice, trying to stretch your mind here, and we're to lay ourselves on the altar, how can we be holy and pure and all those things that we just talked about? It's only through him, right? It's through his blood, his sacrifice. It has been given to us. The righteousness of God has been given to us because we put our faith in what he has done. And so when we present our bodies, God doesn't see our imperfections, our uh, sins, our uh, mistakes, all those things. He sees what Christ did. Thank the Lord for that. The sacrifice was a, a part of worship. Not like singing and all that, but a part of worship. It had to be that spotless lamb and it had to be. And when we come before the Lord in worship, God doesn't see dirty hands lifted if the blood's been applied. David said, who can approach to the mount of the Lord? Only those who have a clean hand and a pure heart. So, Old Testament, you got to be holy. The only way in the Old Testament you could be holy is if you had offered the sacrifices. They were a substitute, but Christ would come and be the perfect sacrifice later. So, every sacrifice had to be holy and acceptable. In Leviticus 1.10, here's where it talks about the sacrifice. He shall bring a male lamb, but if there is a defect in it, if it's lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. That's found in Leviticus as well as Deuteronomy. When the sacrifice was burnt and the smoke went up to heaven, towards heaven, God was pleased with that. Uh, and it was considered a sweet aroma uh, because this offering has been made and consumed by the fire. What is the what is the fire symbolic of? Well, purification, but uh, also the judgment of God. So God judges. When it comes to Christ, He put our sins on Him, though He had sinned not. The same thing with this lamb. In Old Testament times. The sins of the whole camp of Israel were placed upon this, and God judged it by, the, it was like symbolic of the, the fire was the judgment of God upon sin, and then he was pleased because there was repentance. It was made right because of his judgment. It, it, it's really, really deep as we begin uh, to look at it. The entire Sacrifice was given to the Lord, and sometimes in special occasions, the priest uh, might be able to take a portion in certain types of offering for his part of being the priest. So the holiness that we bring to the altar is mostly about our decision to yield to the Lord and to the work that he does inside of us. I mean, that's what the, the work of the Holy Spirit is is to help us and to convict us. I'm not trying to use that in a negative way, but to 
convict us of our sins. How many, how many knows if if this is not happening, then you might be worried. But if you do something wrong and the Holy Spirit doesn't quicken you, you're, you may be in dangerous territory. The, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a lot of jobs. Uh, but tonight we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us uh, in our walk with the Lord and to walk holy and pure as much as possible for us as humans, right? Teach us all, all the ways of the Lord, yeah. All of this, Paul says, is reasonable. Man, it sounds pretty extreme to me. You got to give it all to the Lord, sacrifice it, let it be burned up. Nothing of you left. It's all God's holiness. And he says, that's reasonable. What's reasonable comes in the very first line, which says, by the mercies of God. Yeah, it's reasonable and possible for us to do that. All right, let's look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is talking about resisting conformity to the world. But it's two parts. It's also about embracing the transformation that Jesus brings to your life. It reminds me somewhat of the scriptures that says, resist the devil and he'll flee. But we, we, we talk about that all the time, but the first part of that is that we're to come to God. We're to submit our submit. That's the right word. Submit ourselves to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee. It's two parts. Here it's the same thing in uh, verse 2. Two parts. Resist conforming to the world and embrace the transformation that comes through the Holy Spirit and Jesus working in our life. So don't be conformed to the world. What does that mean? Don't be conformed to the world. Yeah, don't follow their example seeking things more than God. It's really a whole world system, not just things, because the world system is controlled by the enemy, by the devil. Uh, in the end times, he'll, it, will be, it will be controlled here on the earth by the Antichrist. Every facet of it, except for what God does, right? The money, everything you do, you know, is going to be controlled and, uh, by the Antichrist in the end time. So we're to resist things like the popular culture, not live in rebellion to God. I mean, oh, man, the world is in total rebellion. Calling things that are right wrong and calling things that are wrong right it's backwards. The world will try to get you to conform to an ungodly pattern, but you have to resist. There is work in it for us. There is. If you know there's a place you shouldn't go because you would have a hard time resisting whatever temptation is there, then don't go. I mean, that sounds simple, but that is the truth. If you're an ex-alcoholic, don't go to the bar to witness to somebody. That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if you struggle with 
pornography and lust. Don't go to the bars that, yes, a club like that. Yeah, don't do that, right? Sounds simple, but we, we do have a part in resisting and not conforming to the world. And we're to be transformed by what? Renewing of your mind. So that's actually transformed is polar opposite of conform to the world. They're opposing one another. And if you're doing one, you can't be doing the other. They're, they're polar opposites of, uh, of each other. And the battleground in this transforming versus conforming work, the battleground is in the mind. Now, sometimes we say things are in the mind and that means they don't, it's not real. But that's not what this means here. It means that battleground is in your thinking and in your intellectual capacity and the devil tries to speak into your mind and tell you things uh, that you shouldn't do or make you, wants to make you dwell upon thoughts that he pushes in there. You can have thoughts coming into your mind but not stay there. I don't want to be conformed to the world. I want to be transformed. And the process for that is a renewing of my mind. How can I renew my mind? How do I, it says by the transforming, the renewing of your mind, how is your mind renewed? Yeah, putting good stuff in Bill's holding up his Bible right there. It's just like I do on Sunday morning when I say, hold up your Bible. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'm going to be taught the Word of God. You know, I mean, and it's going to transform. It's going to change. We talk about that every Sunday. So it's through the Word, but not just the Word transforms us. What else? Prayer? Worship? Yes. All those things. Listening to the Spirit is drawing near God. It's worship. It's prayer. It's reading our Bibles. All those I'm going to just call them Christian functions that uh, we need to be doing. And they're not just, God didn't tell us to do those things just to trap us and imprison us. He told us to do those things so that we would be set free in our mind when the devil tried to bring something into us. We'd be like, Shh, I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't want to hear that. I'm going to ignore that. That thought's going in one ear and out the other. Uh, that's how our minds are transform and that word transform is the Greek word metamorpho which is where we get our word metamorphosis we use that word when we talk about that caterpillar that climbs up that tree and eats those leaves off that branch and then he forms a cocoon and then a few weeks time it's no longer a caterpillar it is a beautiful butterfly that can, that can fly. I mean, he can, he leaves the earthbound, it's what a great thought, right? He leaves the earthboundness and the earthly and the darkness and the sin of the world in order to fly. It's like a form of being spirit-bound instead of earthbound. And it's a great word uh, to describe that process when God begins to transform us in our mind and in our thinking. 
illustration because these kids, you know, they get, they get these things that look like cars and then they can move a few buttons and change a few things and then it's a robot standing up there instead of a, something totally different. Doesn't look anything like what it started out as. I don't know if that convicted you when I said it, but it did me, right? I don't need to look anything like I used to look like. I didn't, don't need to do the things I used to do. I need to be transformed, totally changed. The only way that's possible is through the working of the Holy Spirit. I have a part which is resisting what I know is wrong, but I also have a part of allowing the Holy Spirit to change. It doesn't say. The transforming process is not based on how you feel. Because you can feel one way one day and totally different the next. It is a transformation based on the truth of God and the Word of God. I mean, today you can feel like you have the best wife in the world. Tomorrow, maybe not so. Today you may feel like worshiping. Tomorrow, you might not feel like worshiping. Today, you might like your preacher. Tomorrow, shame on you, but you might not. It's not, what am I saying? It's not about how we feel. It's about the power of God and that transforming work that changes us. And we have an understanding, not just an understanding of what is right, but we are striving to live that way through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also, this transforming work is, while we have a part to play, it's not only about our doing. Because there's people out there that say, uh, just tell me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. Well, that's not what the transforming work of God is about. That's legalism. Because you're going to meet some people out there who say, you got to have your hair down the ear. Can't be within an inch of that. You know, or you got to, uh, your skirt's got to be down to here. Well, I don't know why all these uh, things were about the way women dressed and the way women wore their hair or makeup or whatever. Uh, rarely about men. Now I'm off my soapbox. But that's true, isn't it? It's not just about doing either. It's about what is true. What does God's word say about it? How many remember those who knew him here? There's a few in this group. If you went to Pastor McKinley and you said, this is going on and I need to know what to do, what do you think? He'd say, pray about it and see what the Bible says about it. Exactly. And that's the right way you do it. Well, don't go for, to your center friends for sure and ask them what the right thing to do is. Yeah, because we can give our opinion and it might not be right. And that's what Brother McKinley was doing. Is he was saying, hey, let's don't make a, a light thought about it and just move on. Let's see what the Word says. Let's pray about it. Let's consider it. Uh, and that's, that's what was important. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. When you are transformed, there's proof of it. And God has a perfect will for your life. We rarely live within a total perfect will of our life, of, of the life that God wants us to, but we can live close to that 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, the renewing of our mind, and through his word. All those things will help us uh, to be transformed and to be proof of what, let me know there's proof of what when God works in somebody's life. I think I, I might have said Sunday, you know, when God does a work, he'll take a, a terrible drunk and he'll transform them. And they're no longer bound by that. He'll take a, a person who's mean and angry and angry and change the whole persona of that person because of their following after God. They've been transformed and changed and they have accepted the fact that I don't need to, need to be conformed to the world, but I need to be transformed to what God wants me to do. Okay, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, uh, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This does not say don't take care of yourself. It does not say don't have some self-esteem. But it's saying don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I've heard people say, and I think this is true as well, don't think of yourself as often as you think of others. You know what I mean? Is it egocentric of us? Are we, is it all about us? And we have to ask ourselves that question. And don't think more highly of ourselves than uh, what we ought to think, but just think, think soberly. I know I've got faults and failures and flaws. We all know that about ourselves, right? That's sober thinking, but also sober thinking to say, but I'm a child of God. And I'm made in his image and his likeness. So what, there's a contrast there, but that's me a work in progress. That's you a work in, in, in process as well. We rarely see ourselves like we are. Too self-loathing or condemning, or we can be too proud at times that we don't uh, watch out. So uh, this is a warning about that. Notice the last phrase of that. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Last chapter he's talking to Christians. Some of them were saying the Jews were so bad God left them. They didn't believe he left them. And now we are the people of faith. The Christians. And God's saying I'm the one who even gave you the measure of faith to believe and to be saved. So don't think too highly of yourself, right? God gives us the measure of faith that we need for salvation. He gives us that faith. He gives us faith beyond that, I believe, as well. But we didn't muster up the faith. We talk about, oh, you just got to dig in there and get more faith. It's really about our relationship with the Lord. So God's dealt to each one a measure of faith. That saving faith was a gift from God. You can't be proud about what somebody gave you. You didn't earn it. You didn't make it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it to you. Verses 4 and 5. This is talking about unity, but also the diversity of the body of Christ. Both words in there. Unity and diversity 
Uh, we'll use another word here in just a minute. Uh, for as we have many members in one body, so we're all a part of the body of Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. We're a part of that body of Christ. But all members do not have the same function. Wouldn't it be terrible if God called all 90 of us that come on Sunday morning? That's about 80, 90 people. Uh, and he called all of us to preach. We'd never get out of here, would we? I mean, you know, it would just be a mess. But he didn't. He called us to different works, different members, without the same function, but we're a part of the same body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually of one another. We need each other. We're part of the same body. We're not all eyes. We're not all ears. We're not all noses. Many members in one body. The church is a whole body, yet within that body, they're individual members. Dwayne, you're an individual member of the body, of the body of Christ, but also an individual member of this local body. Jane, even though you're married to this guy, you're an individual member of the body of Christ and an individual member of this local body. Even though we know scripture says you two are one, but you're also individual. Each one of us have a work. My work's not the same work as Teresa's. You should be glad because I don't play the piano well at all. In fact, none. And I'm thankful for her ministry that comes alongside mine and is a blessing to the body, right? All of us. That, that's the way God does that, right? In the body of Christ, there is unity, but not uniformity. We're not all the same. We don't have the same giftings, the same callings. Individuals, but yet in unity and all working for on common ground for the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. You are to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. It's all, like I preached about last week, and we'll, we're going to go back there for a few minutes this coming Sunday. It's all for the glory of God. He made me, gifted me, called me, not so I can stand up and say, man, I can preach, I can... No. So that I am a blessing. I, I give glory to God. And in doing that, I also bless others who are a part of the body of Christ. And you the same. I could not pastor this church by myself. I need you. You need me, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're together in this. We're in this thing together, as that little song says. Let's read verses 6 through 8. I'll try to get through this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So it's a grace. Your gifting is a grace. That means God gave it to you. You aren't just naturally gifted in that way. God gave it to you. 
Let us use them. If you have a gift and you're not using it, use it. The kingdom of God needs that gift. The local body needs that gift. So use it. And if you don't know what your gift is, let me help you. I'd love to do that. And say, I feel like I'm called to do something. I'm just not sure what it is. And I sit down with them and begin to talk. What are you passionate about? What, what's God laying on your heart? And for too long, they're like, yeah, I think God might be calling me to, to do this. I think it, that feels right. We'll go home and pray about it, but that might be, you know, what you're called to do. Use your gift. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Quick story. Had a couple come to me and say, we want a baby. We've struggled. We've lost two. I knew them. I knew that they had lost two babies. And they said, pray for us. We want them to have a baby. And so, it's okay. And I just began to pray for them. Ask God to bless them. Multiply their family. You know, just begin to pray generically. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know. I think the first time I ever had anybody come and say, pray that we'll have a baby. And I'm just praying the blessings of God over them. And God tells me, tell them to go some, buy something for the baby. That's a prophetic word. We'll buy something for the baby. And I kept praying. I'll just be honest with you. I just kept praying, and the Lord said it again, and I said, okay, I got to stop. So I just stopped, and I said, the Lord is telling me that you need to go buy something for this baby that you haven't seen yet, but by faith, by faith, you're going to go buy something for this baby, and God's going to bless that measure of faith, and you're going to have one. You're going to have a baby. He said, you don't have to buy a baby bed or something expensive, even if it's a pack of diapers, just one little act of obedience and faith, and I believe God's going to bless that. And when we left church, my wife said, are you sure God told you that? Because she knew what those folks had gone through. It's nothing like to lose a baby. And I said, I'm as sure as I've ever been that that's what the Lord said to do. And they they have a baby. Just, I mean, they have a baby. A little. God did it. But that was a gift that I hadn't been used in before. God was saying, tell them they're going to have a baby. This is what they need to do. Use the gift that God gives to you. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. That was a stretch of my faith to say that. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. We're supposed to be givers as well. That's sometimes that's the gift of a person. Some people have to, we all are supposed to give, but some, some people have the gift of giving. I mean, they say we're blessed people, they're blessed works of the Lord, they're blessed churches, uh, and that's a gift. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, all of these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing 
to each one individually as he wills. So spiritual gifts are given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. Some people desire certain gifts, and it's not wrong to desire a gift because you want to be used by the Lord. It's not a wrong intent, but sometimes we have a desire to do things that God has gifted us to do or called us to do. I'd love to get up and be able to play, man. If I could get up behind that keyboard and just God just automatically get me and just woo, you know what? But he, he didn't. My wife put a lot of work in to learn how to play that piano like that. Just because it's a gift doesn't mean it comes easy. Have to work with that. Use it. Allow God to bless it. Put your work in there as well. And uh, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us these gifts. Another reason why we have no reason to be proud. Pride is a problem in the kingdom. It's a problem in the world too, but it's particularly bad in the kingdom. It tears down a lot of things if you are operating in pride. It really does. God gives it to us. God expects us to use it. Let's go ahead and uh, get these questions. So what does the word beseech mean? To beg or possibly exhort? Question 2, according to verse 1, what is Paul asking us to do? To choose to live God. All those things are right. Uh, and remember that when you say your bodies, it's not just physical outer body, but it's your whole being. The answer generically is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What are some of the mercies of God? We talked about those. Salvation, justification, sanctification, being accepted as children. Uh, there were many others that you put in, all those blessings of God, all those uh, mercies of God to us. Question four. So how does God make our life a holy sacrifice? By his blood. Let me add to that. It is by his blood that he creates our man. sin. But the Holy Spirit also has a work to burn away impurities in our life. But that is a separate work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is always symbolized by a flame or fire. So yes, it is by His blood, but also the Holy Spirit has a work in making us pure and holy. Question five. Where is the battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed? Within the mind of the believer, yes. In our minds. What does the word transformed mean according to question six? Metamorphosis or changed. Question seven. In the body of Christ there is unity, unity but not uniformity. uniformity. Question eight. Spiritual gifts are given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. 